You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Evil minds that plot destruction. Sorcerer of death construction. In the fields of bodies burning. Machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national and international events. This to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au about 24 hours after this program goes to air. And if you do listen to this program in Melbourne Free Community Radio 3CR, it is repeated. That's right. I think at 5 o'clock on Friday morning. Had a friend who's now dead who used to set his alarm clock at Friday o'clock. I said, why don't you listen on Wednesday? And he said, oh, I don't know, but I've just got used to you waking me up at 5 o'clock on Friday morning. No wonder he's left the earth. (laughs) Now, my name is Joseph Toscano. Yes, sick humour. If you're wondering what anarchy is all about, anarchos without rulers. What's the anarchist mission? You like that? Everybody's got a mission statement. Well, it's create a society without rulers. This is like being one politics, anarchist politics 101. How do you create? Well, what gives rulers the ability to determine the lives of billions of people? Inequalities in power and wealth. So what is an anarchist? Is an anarchist, as the uh, New South Wales Police Commissioner said, all those anti-lockdown you know, uh, protesters are anarchists. Well, I'm afraid they weren't. They weren't anarchists. But I'll go, about, I'll go through that in a minute. It just shows their ignorance. An anarchist is somebody who's involved in the struggle to share power, that's devolve power, and the s- struggle to hold wealth in common and uh, use it for the common good. So if you think you're not an anarchist and you've been involved in those struggles, I've got some bad news for you. You may have anarchist DNA, which is almost... It means that you're not going to have a good career as a bureaucrat, does it? All right, let's move on. I never thought I'd be saying this today. But what we are seeing is something just extraordinary. I wouldn't expect it in the 21st century, but that's the way life is. Politicising a pandemic. Now, obviously, there is a political response to a pandemic. But when you politicise the virus itself, you have issues. And it was interesting to see all those COVID-19 fifth columnists masquerading as freedom fighters on the streets in uh, Brisbane, Melbourne, Townsville and uh, Sydney. Obviously, uh, people share their frustrations. Is this about freedom? What's a fifth columnist most people ask? Ask. Well, 
During the Spanish Revolution in 1936-37, when the uh, Franco, the fascist forces, surrounded Madrid, one of the uh, generals uh, leading the uh, assault on uh, Madrid said, well, we have five columns, five columns of troops, four surrounding Madrid and one inside Madrid. So a fifth columnist is basically somebody who is attempting to sabotage what's going on. Now, I don't know if you remember Jonestown. Those of you who are old enough will remember Jonestown when there was a mass suicide event in Guyana when this, uh, you know, charismatic leader from the United States of America, you know, dragged people down to create a new life. And when they came under a little bit of pressure, uh, part of their routine was to commit uh, mass suicide, and over seven to 800 people died, many, many children. Quite extraordinary. People were given poison Kool-Aid in order to, uh, you know, end their lives. And this politicising pandemic reminds me of Jonestown to some degree because this is this is voluntary euthanasia. It is voluntary euthanasia. Now viruses don't care. Obviously viruses have impacts, different impacts on different sections of the population and uh, there are some people carrying the COVID-19 can and some that aren't and I'll go into that later on. But a virus doesn't care. So if you're not wearing a mask or you're not socially distancing, or you don't want a vaccine, it just doesn't care who you are. It's a little bit like somebody's running amok with a knife in a crowd, not caring who they plunge that knife into. And the way to stop that person running amok is basically to tackle them, if you can. It's the same with the COVID-19 virus. It's a virus. It has impacts on human beings. And all you've got to do is look at the death toll around the world. People may quibble about the numbers which are directly related to COVID-19, say in Australia. But when you look at the death toll around the world, it's quite obvious this virus has a profound impact. And what's happening to a greater degree in the United States than Australia is that there are certain sections of the community who see their reaction to the pandemic as a political act. The fact that they're not wearing masks, the fact that they don't want to be locked down, the fact that they're not socially distanced, the fact that they refuse vaccination is a political statement. And that's what it is, a political statement. But it's a political statement which has huge consequences, not just for them and their families and children and friends, as we see in the United States of America, where vaccination rates among adults are around um, 60%, and we've seen uh, the Delta variant of COVID-19 now continue to wreak havoc in the United States, and mainly wreak havoc amongst people who have not been vaccinated. And they haven't been vaccinated because there aren't any vaccination centres, and they haven't been vaccinated because it's expensive. They haven't been vaccinated as a political act. Obviously, there are some people who are concerned about the side effects, but when you stack up the side effects of a potential of a vaccination 
to the side effects, as we've seen in Sydney, as we saw in Melbourne a year ago, of not actually tackling the virus, we have real issues, huge issues in the society, because it's not just them, it's us. It's all those other people in society who continue to be have to be locked down because we've got these COVID-19 fifth columnists masquerading as freedom fighters. Now, I remember 20 years ago when I was at the forefront of a struggle to prevent the Australian government from passing legislation which removed most common law rights in this country. I mean, passing legislation that allows the state to detain you secretly for a week, although you've you've done nothing, and you can be jailed up for five years for not answering questions. And I remember the legislation which went through Parliament, which gives a member of the CFM MEU less rights than somebody importing a billion dollars of drugs because they have to answer questions or they can be charged and prosecuted. And I remember when legislation was passed which allowed the the Attorney General and now the uh, Border Protection Minister, whoever he is or she is, it's a she I think, the power to ban any organisation because they believe it may pose, and the key word was may pose a threat to Commonwealth interests. And I didn't see any of those people who are now fighting for freedom, in inverted commas, out there. And more importantly, when I see the libertarian rump, the architects of the globalisation, privatisation, corporatisation, deregulation, revolution, act as the intellect for the anti-lockdown protests, I begin to understand exactly what's going on. And exactly what's going on is that people masquerading as freedom fighters, people who believe in the individual having the liberty to exploit other people, and that's what libertarianism is about. It's not just about personal freedom. It's about the ability for the individual to amass huge amounts of resources and money at other people's expense. It's about policies to remove basic wage. It's about policies to destroy trade unions. That's what libertarianism is about. When I see these so-called intellectuals, you know, being the intellect of the anti-lockdown protest, you begin to understand where they're coming from. These people are not interested in freedom. What these people are interested in is ensuring the private sector, especially the corporate sector, continues to dominate every aspect of our existence. And if you think that these people aren't in power, well, in Victoria, you may not believe this, but the Libertarian Party, they call themselves the Liberal Democrats, have two representatives out of 40 in the legislative, in the, um, in the upper house. That's right. So, who carries the can of COVID-19? As I said before, a response to the pandemic is political. Obviously, those with assets attempt to protect themselves, as we've seen over and over again when pandemics uh, were an issue in different societies at different times. What we saw was the rich and powerful moved off to their estates in the country, and that's why they created estates in the country, not to go hunting, but to have some type of protection against pandemics which were a regular occurrence of life hundreds of years ago. 
when we saw the uh, the uh, Black Death lay waste London, the King, King Charlie, pissed off to Oxford, surrounded Oxford with his troops and bunkered down until the worst excesses of the pandemic, of the Black Death, the bubonic plague, had uh, decreased and there was herd immunity in the community and all those lovely lords and ladies raced off to their country estates, leaving the people of London to rot. And in some ways, we are in a particularly the same position today in 2021. Because the people who are carrying the can for COVID-19 are people who are victims of that deregulation, privatisation, globalisation, corporatisation revolution which has swept the world. And these are people who now find themselves in poorly paid, insecure work where they have no sick pay, no holiday leave, where they're said to be individual contractors. And these are the people who are losing their jobs hand over fist. The very people who earn the least are those who are now carrying the COVID-19 can. And when we see the government get involved in supporting so-called businesses, we can see that a lot of this money is going to large corporations, not actually going to the people who need it. For example, some interesting research has come out in the last day or so which looked at the companies which are listed on the stock exchange. And as we've seen, their profitability in terms of economic return has increased dramatically during COVID-19. So the people who've been carrying the can are also all these small businesses, all these mum and dad businesses, all these businesses of two or three employees who are out there not able to trade, not receiving enough government support, who have been hounded by banks and landlords and landladies for their uh, rent, who continue to be charged by government for non-existent services. So although COVID-19 is an equal opportunity virus, it'll pounce on anybody it can, and if you don't socially distance and you don't wear a mask and you don't want a vaccination, well, it's more likely to pounce on you than anybody else. The fact is that those that are carrying the can, the economic can, the social can, the mental health issues, are those people, small businesses, micro-businesses, insecure workers who lose their jobs every time there's a lockdown. It's different for the bureaucrats and uh, executives and uh, workers in many of the larger corporations because they can work from home because of the nature of their work. So think about it. So if we want to get back to a position where COVID-19 is no longer a threat, well, we have to do certain things. And um, at least 85 to 90% of the population will need to be vaccinated in order to create herd immunity to make COVID-19 an issue. Now, a lot of people are a bit confused about vaccinations. Now, I'd like to go through this again because it really pains me when I see people dying unnecessarily because of 
misinformation and propaganda which masquerades as fact. It pains me. You know, I've been a doctor for over 40 years, 45 years to be exact, and it pains me personally when I see people dying unnecessarily because they refuse treatment which may cure their problem. Now, I understand that if you've got a terminal illness, you may refuse treatment, and I fully support that because sometimes the treatment is worse than the disease itself. And that's what the voluntary you know, euthanasia laws were all about, voluntary dying legislation in Victoria and South Australia and, and I think West Australia now is all about giving people that opportunity. And it really, really, really pains me when I see children suffering from the ignorance, from ignorance that their parents' decision is made on. It's not that I call people ignorant. It's just the fact that we are drowning, drowning in misinformation. We are drowning in so-called experts having all the answers regarding COVID-19 and all they're doing is basically prolonging the problem. And more importantly, they are putting their supporters' health at risk. Because if you look at the figures in the United States of America, which is now suffering, you know, the I think the third or fourth uh, wave, the people who are now ending up in intensive care and dying are people who are not vaccinated. About 95 to 97% of people in intensive care are the non-vaccinated. Those who are vaccinated, obviously, that doesn't mean you're not going to catch COVID-19. You can have a doubled vaccination and catch it. But the whole purpose of the vaccination, and that's why AstraZeneca is just as good as anything else, the whole purpose of the vaccination is to improve or decrease the possibility of having a severe respiratory disease which will kill you. And all those people who think that if you eat the right foods and you exercise and, you know, you do all the right things, you know, somehow it's going to protect you. It doesn't. Viruses don't care. Like us, they want to live. They may not have the intellect that we have or supposed intellect we have as human beings, but they want to live. They want to survive. That's why they mutate. That's why they change as it becomes more and more difficult for them to survive. So as human beings, I just find it extraordinary that in the 21st century there are solutions to this issue. There are solutions. Now, obviously, every solution has a downside and obviously there are minimal side effects with vaccination. There is a price to be paid, especially when there's no government support. When communities are locked down, there is a mental health issue to look at when communities are are locked down. But what else are we going to do? Are we going to run around, no masks on, no social distancing, no vaccination, praying to God to help us, you know, going out there in the Middle Ages, going out there, getting on our knees, praying to our gods to get rid of the pestilence which has been, you know, wrought down on earth because we've been bad boys and girls. I mean, that's, that's the reality. So, as I said before, 
COVID-19 fifth columnists, you're not freedom fighters. If you were freedom fighters, I would have seen you on the streets when our freedoms were being removed by legislation by successive Liberal and Labor governments. It was a lonely existence 20 years ago. Everybody was concerned about the so-called terrorist threat. It was mass hysteria. Mass hysteria. But when it came to opposing the government's uh, legislation, apart from a few, you know, uh, few sec- marginal sections of society, I didn't see these same people on the streets fighting for freedom. So what do you want? The freedom to kill somebody else by not, uh, you know, um, observing some simple rules? The freedom to kill your family because you don't want to be vaccinated? The freedom to ensure that we go on on a never-ending, you know, revolving door as far as COVID-19 injections are concerned? Well, obviously... There's no treatment in the wings. I mean, the way you deal with a pandemic, a virus, a bacteria, whatever it is, there's there's only three ways. Well, there's four ways. You can pray for salvation. And I've got no problem with people praying for salvation, but I haven't seen many positive responses for it from prayer. You can quarantine, and historically, that's all the human race had until the 20th century, was quarantine. You can uh, find a treatment, and currently, although monoclonal antibodies seem to be useful in the early stages of COVID-19, there's no universal treatment. You just you can't go to the doctor and say, look, I've got a urinary tract infection. He'll, he or she will say, here's some antibiotics, you know, and they fix the problem. It doesn't work that way. Viruses, there's, there's no treatment. So the only thing that's left is vaccination, mass vaccination. And it's interesting that in America, you know, the so-called home of the free and the brave, the politicisation of the pandemic epicentre of the universe, that now certain sections of the community in certain states need mandatory vaccination to work in particular areas. And in France, although there's been some resistance, unless you've had both your vaccinations or a negative COVID-19 test, you just can't enter public gatherings, and the list goes on and on. So, look, the decision is yours, but ultimately, when we make decisions, we need to look at three things. Our individual welfare. That's important. Our individual welfare is important. You know, individual welfare. And we make decisions about our individual welfare every day. We may decide to eat better food. We may decide to see the doctor or our you know, our health practitioner, whoever they may seem because we're not feeling well. You know, we may decide to, um, you know, do certain things as far as our individual health is concerned. Then you've got our interaction with the people around us, you know, directly around us, our very close friends who we see all the time, our family, our children, our relatives, and the list goes on and on. And then you've got the community as a whole because whether you like it or not, we are all part and parcel of a community. We are all part and parcel of a community. So if you continue to think 
you can ignore the whole thing and it has no impact on you individually, no impact on your family, the people around you, and no impact in the community you live in. You're living in la-la land. I think we've now reached the stage where we take the velvet, we take the, the iron fist out of the velvet glove. For far too long, we have been pandering to misinformation. We've been pandering to the politicisation of a pandemic. We've been pandering to ideas that have no... They're not rooted in fact... So, like all things on the Anarchist World this week, the decision is ultimately yours. Obviously, we can be involved in struggles to ensure that those who are now carrying the burden of COVID-19 are not forgotten, are not left behind, are supported not just in a medical sense, in a health sense, but are supported economically especially when huge numbers of people are locked down. It's exceptionally important that we continue that struggle to ensure everybody has equal access. And those small number of people who don't want to be vaccinated, well, as I keep saying on the program, I'm quite happy to be vaccinated as a service to my community, as a service to the people around me and as a service to myself. And if a small percentage don't want to be vaccinated, well... That's their issue. But I think make your decisions on facts, not garbage. Not everything on the World Wide Web has, has basis in fact. And that's the beauty of the World Wide Web. We can actually instantaneously confuse hundreds of millions of people the facts are simple. The facts as far as COVID-19 are simple. And if we want to live, you know, we want to get back to what it was like before this virus stuck its nose in. And the fact is that sooner or later there'll be another pandemic and another pandemic as more and more people, you know, clog up the globe and temperatures increase. There'll be more and more transmissions. So we need as societies to be able to deal with this. And interestingly, it's the so-called sophisticated Western societies, the rational ones, which are those which have had the most, the poorest response to COVID-19 because they've forgotten the lessons of the past. While people in developing nations understand the lessons of the past because they are dealing with this issue on a day-to-day basis and it's not hard for them to understand that this is a dangerous situation but where we have lost our connection to our past, our connection to the fact that our life expectancy is now nearly 80 for both men and women, the fact that 20 to 40% of children don't die before the age of five, we have lost that historical understanding because we live in a consumer-driven society where it's all about consumption, not about the histories, the lessons of the past. And there's nothing more important than the lessons of the past. 
And historically, this country, and I'm going to talk about Australia, has been ravaged by disease, ravaged, and, and certain sections of the community continue to be ravaged by disease because of discrimination and inequality. But we need to understand those lessons of the past. If you go back to the 1880s and 1890s, in most major metropolitan centres in Australia, you would have 20 to 40% of children dying before they reach the age of five. And what transformed that situation in the early 19th century? Sewerage. That's right. A system where there was disposable of human waste. So the cholera and typhoid epidemics, which are a feature of everyday life in Australia, became, you know, became, were, were, were not just there, they just became, they weren't part of history. Then we have the epidemics, the so-called Spanish flu, 50 to 100 million dead around the world at the end of World War One, and we saw the troops coming home, bringing back Spanish flu to Australia, almost, I think it was about thirty to 35,000 dying from a population of less than 5 million, which is extraordinary. And those people who think that COVID-19, you know, <laughs> you know, it's a cold or a cough, need to look at research which shows that about 48,000, 49,000 people would have died by now if we hadn't taken... Um, the, or if the authorities hadn't taken the decisions they've actually taken. That's a lot of people. And if you don't believe that, look at the death rate in England, the United States, Brazil, and the list goes on and on. So, and then we had the, you know, the great epidemics, you know, smallpox, polio, measles, chickenpox, diphtheria. Whooping cough, and the list goes on and on. And mass vaccination has protected the community from the worst excesses of these diseases. And we saw recently in Samoa where there was a very strong anti-vaccination campaign regarding measles inoculation, the number of children who died because they hadn't been inoculated. Well, children dying from measles in this country a minimal. And one of the most heart-rendering things I've seen, and I've been around a long time, and I tend not to be, you know, not to be moved, which is a horrible thing to say, but as you get older, you tend not to be moved because you've seen a lot of shit. And one of the most heart-rendering things I saw last year, or could have been the year before, was this uh, young woman whose daughter had died of whooping cough whose daughter had not been vaccinated against whooping cough, telling us that if her daughter had been vaccinated, she wouldn't have died. And that's what we've forgotten, the lessons of the past. I remember the banks of ventilators, people stuck on in, in iron lungs from the polio epidemics. I remember the people who... I still see people who are limping around because they contracted polio. 60 years later, they're still carrying the stigmata of the disease. There's such a thing as the polio syndrome. 
which continues to haunt people who are contracted uh, polio. And polio is a disease which, to a greater degree, affected children more than adults, unlike COVID-19, where it's the other way around. So, you know, it pains me that I've got to go through this. I mean, I should be doing, you know, yeah, incisive analysis about what's happening in the world today, not talking about basic information. If this is what the World Wide Web has brought to us, if this is the way that we are going to conduct ourselves as individuals and members of a community in the future, I personally think there is very little hope for us as a species. I can hear a few of you cheer, but uh, I'm sure most of you would be unhappy about that. You're listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. The ALP clears the deck. The Australian Labor Party clears the deck. Now, I've heard about a lot of criticism over the last 24 hours about the Australian Party 1 agreeing to the new inverted tax system, which will start in 2024, which I'll speak about in a second, and two, throwing in the tail as far as negative gearing, controlling negative gearing and franking credits is concerned. Now, we've got a problem in this country. We have a huge problem. Now, we love to talk about the Chinese propaganda machine. We love to talk about the Chinese propaganda machine and we like to hold ourselves up as the bastion of free expression and free speech. Well, in many regards, this country's mass media is little more than a replica of the propaganda the Chinese people are subjected to on a daily basis. We're subjected to propaganda on a daily basis because the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication, especially communication, are held in so few hands. And the communication sector, to the the greatest degree, is privatised. So we have the same problem as the Chinese have. While they have a public communication system which is controlled by the Chinese state and the Chinese Communist Party, we have a communication system which is controlled by the corporate sector. And the corporate sector is only one mission statement. You know, when I started this program, I talk about the anarchist mission statement, and that is to devolve power, share wealth, share power, in order to create a society without rulers. Well, as far as private investment for private profit corporations are concerned, they have one mission statement to create ever-increasing profits for their major shareholders, irrespective of the human, social, environmental costs. That's what it's about. It's about producing products which you sell to make a buck. And if there is a negative uh, consequence of that product, well... The state, that's you and me, the taxpayers, we pick it up, all right? So the ALP last, at the last election did something that the ALP hadn't done for a long time. It put a vision to the Australian people, all right? It said, look, 
this can't go on. We can't give in away taxpayers' money to people who own shares. That's franking credits. And we can't continue to be the only nation in the universe that gives investors in real estate handouts. We just can't do it. Because if we continue to do this, what will happen is there won't be enough tax take in order to provide for the basic necessities of the people of this country. We're going to have to screw people on Social Security benefits. We're going to have to screw people on minimal incomes, and the list goes on and on. That was the policy. Simple. Nothing radical about it. Mildly reformist. Wouldn't have touched, it would have maybe have touched a minuscule amount of the profits made by the investment class in this country, about the 8% that has disposable income to invest. Okay? All hell broke loose. Because the means of communication, whether it's the legacy media which sets the political agenda on a daily basis, or whether it's the social media which, you know, regurgitates what happens in the, uh, in the legacy media, all hell broke loose. It was the end of the known world. The sky would fall in. Anarchists would be roaming the streets, looting and burning. Pensioners would lose their pensions. We'd reintroduce a death tax. It went on and on and on. So the ALP... And again, I can understand where they're coming from, wanting to win a little bit of power, said to themselves, let's clear the decks. Let's reduce the differences between us and the Liberal National Party. And that's the issue. That's the issue I have been talking about for decades. And not just me, tons of other people. We've been talking about for decades. The fact that as far as policy is concerned, whether it's the Australian Labor Party, inverted commas, the alternative Liberal Party, or the coalition government, ultimately it's the same policies because their agenda is dominated by that communique, that small number of people who own the communication resources in this country. And if you hold up the ABC, the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, as a bastion of free expression, well, over the last 20 years, we've seen a concerted campaign against the ABC by the same so-called libertarian forces, you know, from the Institute of Private Affairs, you know, the same group of monkeys, dominate discussion. So... If there is no difference between ALP policy and Liberal National Party policy because the system system is controlled by that small sexual society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication because they set the political, social and cultural agenda on a daily basis to the point where we are told there is no other way. No other way. Like people in China are told, There is no other way. It's the Chinese Communist Party. There's no other way that you will live a decent existence. And we're told here there is no other way unless we allow the corporate sector to have its head, to run riot, to do what it likes, to treat people as servants, not employees. And we continue to pass legislation which restricts the ability of people in this country to withdraw their labour. Now, I always love it when they tell me 
I always love it when they tell me, well, you know, we have the right to strike here in Australia. They don't have that right in China. Well, I'm afraid, boys and girls, we don't have a right to strike in Australia. If you strike outside an enterprise bargaining agreement, which has been rubber-stamped by the Fair Work Commission, you can be fined $10,000 a day. You can be dragged into a room, kicking and screaming, and be forced to answer questions about what union meeting you went to and who was there and what their position was. And the list goes on and on. We don't have a right to withdraw our labour. All we've got is the right to consume. I mean, in our society, in 21st century society, COVID-19 or no COVID-19, and it'll be interesting to see where the uh, freedom fighters will be when COVID-19 comes under control, whether they'll be jumping on our bandwagon and helping us in our struggle to create a more egalitarian community or whether they'll just crap on about nothing as they normally do. So the ALP is clearing the decks, but is it going to change anything? No. Because the end of the day, those who own the means of communication, if they see the ALP is no threat, they may put a few good stories about, you know, those you know, those ALP types because they're no threat to them. And that's where public interest before corporate interest comes in. We are a threat. We may not be a threat in terms politically because of our small numbers, but we are a threat in terms of disseminating ideas which challenge the fact that there is no other way but private investment for private profits. We clearly challenge that notion. And we don't challenge that notion on the basis of some ideology or the fact that somebody has written a, you know, some wonderful book you know, 100 years ago and that you know, is the Bible, the new secular Bible. No. We challenge them on the basis of the reality we face. For example... The Chinese Communist Party is able to exercise power in China because it controls the political process and to a significant degree controls the economy. In Australia, the corporate sector treats Parliament as a puppet theatre and it is able to control what happens in this country. I know I say this every week, but I'd love to stop saying this, but how can 25 million people living on a resource-rich continent continue to have levels of poverty where private charities have to ask you for a donation to ensure that Australian children can get an education. (laughs) Where we're having a tax system introduced, which has been supported by both parties, because the ALP's seen the writing on the wall as far as their ability to um, get political power if they oppose it, where the a tax system has been inverted. If you earn anywhere between 45000 to 200000 you will earn, you will pay 30% tax. That's right. So the person who's making $800 a week is going to earn the same amount of tax as the person who, in percentage-wise, the person who makes $4,000 a week. I'm sure that's very fair. And let's not forget 
that most rich people, most investors, don't actually pay individual tax. They have family trusts, they have companies, they have smart accountants, and that's why, although the corporate sector dominates the economy in this country, that's why it only provides about 17% of the tax take. Most of the tax take continues to come from pay-as-you-earn taxpayers, mugs like you and me, who go to work and pay our taxes. Tick. There, on a weekly basis. Extraordinary. So what do we say? Well, we say things like, how about a 1% stock market transaction tax? As the stock market continues to grow and grow and grow, where the market and the economy live in different galaxies, that's the beauty. You look at the market, you look at the economy, you think, what's going on here? The thing is, the market is actually not linked the economy is not linked to the market. The market is a creature of its own and it continues to generate profits irrespective of what's happening. So why not introduce a 1% transaction tax on every share in stock that is bought and sold? Hey, We could raise up to $120 billion a year. Just remember the COVID-19 payments, JobKeeper and JobSeeker, Less than 100, around 120 billion. We could have paid for that. We could introduce a universal, universal basic income. How about, you know, these large corporations have they've got fancy accountants. They have their headquarters overseas. They don't pay much tax. I remember at one stage a few years ago, Microsoft was paying as much tax as somebody earning $150,000. They paid about $40,000 in tax. And some of our most biggest companies, as far as Resources extraction is concerned in this country by a pittance as far as tax is concerned. So why don't we introduce a 1% transaction tax? Not a GST, a goods and services tax, which affects the poor much more than it affects the rich. When you've got to pay 10% of your ink, you know, of your social security benefit for a goods and services tax, Bigger impact on your ability to purchase the basic necessities if somebody is paying 10% on their Lamborghini or Ferrari. So this is another thing, 1%, you know, transaction tax. Another $200 billion, $250 billion into the coffers. Bang. And let's look at the thing that nobody wants to look about. Nobody wants to look at this. We're all happy that there are mining companies out there that provide scholarships for Indigenous people, that provide scholarships for talented young people out there. We're all happy that they, you know, provide a little bit of money for the arts. But let's look at the situation. We could be the richest country on the planet in the history of the human race. But what we do we do with our resources? We give them away to the private sector to develop, hoping against hope that there'll be some jobs. And what happens in the mining sector? Well, you mechanise and you minimise the amount of workers as soon as possible. And then you have people like Madame Reinhardt with her $35 billion saying she wants to see people imported from overseas to work at $2 an hour. But that's another story. So here we are. The miners make merry at the community's expense. Now, I'm going to use a horrible word. Now, you may have used 
heard a swimmer drop the F-bomb in the last 24 hours, okay? But I'm going to use a word which has got a horrible connotation to a, a small percentage of people in this country and a word that means nothing to the great majority of, of people in this country. How about... How about nationalising the mining sector hmm? without compensation? How about that? How does that sound? Using the resources that are in this country to provide for the necessity to provide compensation to this country's First Nations people for all they've been through, and to provide resources to ensure that we are able to that everybody living in this country has access to the basic necessities of life for a universal basic income, from a universal public education sector, from a universal public health health system, a universal public housing system, not the tawdry, private, semi-privatised garbage we, we see today. Think about it. It's about ideas. Now, can you imagine if somehow public interest before corporate interest gained a little bit of traction, even by appearing on a ballot paper, could you imagine the consternation among those who exercise power in this country? And I'm not talking about the, you know, the, the masquerade, you know, the fifth columnist masquerade, who masquerade as freedom fighters. I'm talking about some real challenge to those who exercise power real challenge and that real challenge depends on our ability to ensure that what is ours is used for the common good not the good of unaccountable corporations not the good of individuals who become billionaires who pay minimal taxation legally who then big note themselves by setting up foundations to perpetuate their memory for eternity. Think about it. Public interest before corporate interest is is an organisation. We are not only involved in political, you know, federal elections, state elections. We'd like to be. Obviously, we're not yet because we're not a registered political party, but we will be. The key is not if but when. And the sooner we pick up another... 90 members, the sooner we'll be able to uh, apply for registration as a federal political party and maybe take part in this uh, federal election, which will be sometime next year now because Mr Morrison is having a few vaccination problems. That's right. People are beginning to understand that uh, this, the fact that they find themselves in lockdown is not just a matter of you know a few uh, removalists crossing the border, but the fact that the only viable protection was not accessed by the federal government in enough numbers to provide that protection. So think about it. COVID-19 times, we'll call it the COVID-19 times, is a great time for reflection. Now, if you want business as usual, you'll get business as usual in two or three years' time when it's no longer a threat. Or do you want a different type of society? Do you want a society with a commonwealth? You like that word, commonwealth? We, are, we do live in the commonwealth of Australia, but unfortunately the wealth isn't held in common. With a commonwealth is used for the common good. 
Do you want a society where we don't have the ridiculous situation of private charities raising money to ensure children achieve an education when we supposedly have got a public education sector which is supposed to do that? Do you want a society where the rich get richer, the powerful get more powerful, and the rest of us crowd around them as, you know, cringing consumers, cringing, carping, complaining consumers? I know people, you know, get upset when I use these words. I'm not calling you all cringing, carping, complaining consumers, but this is the ideology. This is this country's ideology. We do have an ideology. People say Australians have no ideology. They're just interested in the Olympics. No, no, no. We do have an ideology. They're just interested in sport. That ideology is based on the concept that we see ourselves as nothing more than consumers who have no power to determine our future. And if there's one thing we need to remember, that in a democratic society, ultimate political authority rests in the hands of the people. Not a people who sits on the sidelines and waits for things to happen. Not a people who sits on the sidelines and waits for their lead waits for their leaders and priests and messiahs to lead them to the promised land. But an engaged public. An engaged public. Thank you for listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the community radio satellite. If you're interested in pursuing uh, ideas regarding public interest before corporate interests, go to the website. Pipsy.net. Pipsy.net. Yes, I am the registered author, registered uh, officer for public interest before corporate interest, so I'm an office bearer. Uh, you can leave messages on 0439 395 489. 0439 395 489. Don't bother sending stupid messages. I don't read them, okay? You can write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Post Office Box 20, 3052, YouTube channel, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest, Facebook, yes, there is a Public Interest Before Corporate Interest Facebook page. My personal Facebook page, Joseph Toscano, you've got, who knows. That's the great thing about the social media. You think it gets you somewhere. It doesn't. Ultimately, political authority rests in the hands of those who are willing to take the leap to change society. So if you're a carping consumer, complaining carping consumer, don't worry. You can consume to the day you die. And remember, we have a mantra in this country. We have a mission statement. Consume, defecate, die. But if you're going to die, die quietly. Don't make a fuss. Don't rock the boat. All right? Don't rock the boat. But if you want to rock the boat, well, continue listening to The Anarchist World this week. Continue doing things, continue getting involved, continue thinking about joining public interest before corporate interest. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. Evil minds that plot destruction, sorcerer of death's construction. An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week, Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed mind.
So it's up to us, the people. We need a treaty in this country. We need the end to the war in this country. And the only way we can do that is through a peace treaty. Not the one you see in Victoria, not the one you see in Queensland, not the one you see in the Northern Territory, because they talk treaty and still lock our people up. They still kill our people. They still desecrate our land and our water. A treaty means peace. A treaty means equality and a treaty means justice. Thank you. Subscribe to 3CR in 2021. Feed Radical Radio. Subscribe today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.